to Sustainability Matters, the Anthesis Podcast. My name is Chris Peterson, and I'll be your host today. In this podcast series, I get to speak with colleagues, thought leaders, and friends who share in our Anthesis vision of a better and more sustainable world. Today, we're speaking with Susan Harris, our Process and Resource Efficiency Technical Director, about sustainable fashion, what it can tell us about the future of sustainability. Susan's really at the forefront of the industry and has over 15 years' experience in helping organizations to manage sustainability risk and really maximize their opportunities. She's worked with many retailers and brands to help them identify and reduce their environmental impacts, embed sustainability in design, production, and support supply chain improvement. Susan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Good to speak to you. Absolutely. Really looking forward to this. So, you know, I think part of why I'm excited about this topic is the way that fashion has always been an incubator or early signal where sustainability is going in general, you know, be it supply chain transparency, material selection, business models, et cetera. And I know, Susan, you have a real finger on the pulse of where things are going. It'll be great to unpack that. So maybe to jump into the questions, I mean, fashion often gets a bad rap on sustainability between fast fashion, supply chain issues like Rana Plaza, et cetera. You know, maybe to help us orient and get some context, can you help us to understand why they get the bad rap and then, you know, how we can think of a more sustainable model within the space? Mm, I think that's a really good question, Chris. And uh, fashion is so important and integral to our everyday lives, isn't it? I suppose, you know, clothes are one of the items that we buy most frequently. They are, are something we use to say a lot about our own identity and uh, an important part of kind of culture. Um, but there are a lot of issues with clothing and clothing production that contribute to the challenges that the sector faces. Um, for example, you mentioned Rana Plaza and the issues around ethics, uh, workers' rights, labor standards and modern slavery. Um, since Rana Plaza, I think there's been a real wake up about um, working conditions and worker safety. Uh, movements like the Who Made My Clothes campaign have shone a light on the workers who make our clothes, the majority of whom are women and girls. Um, and even in the UK here, we've had the introduction of the Modern Slavery Act, which has really lifted the lid on slavery in the supply chain. Um, where in the UK, there have been cases of slave and underpaid labor identified in the Midlands and elsewhere in the apparel supply chain. And likewise, in the US, there have been issues around traffic child labor and so on. So some really serious issues on the social front as far as the environmental side of things goes, the, the industry isn't off the hook either. Uh, carbon obviously is an increasing priority as we face a kind of climate emergency. And apparel is actually responsible for around 10% of global emissions, um, partly due to its long supply chains and energy intensive production. Um, 10% doesn't sound that much, but it's actually more than international aviation and shipping combined. So some pretty significant carbon impacts there. Um, water as well, uh, the industry is a huge contributor to global water issues. So the intensive water use that's required for primary production of say, for example, cotton, much of which is produced in water stressed areas, um, along with the dyeing and finishing of garments during manufacture, um, the water that's used to wash clothes, all of those kind of things contribute quite a lot to water use in the sector and is why that's such an important issue. 
um, I mentioned um, the amount of clothing that we buy. Uh, in the UK, we, we buy an enormous amount of clothing, more than any other country in Europe. And at the same time, uh, consumers throw away shoes and clothing, throw away, I'm talking here, as opposed to recycling, an average of 70 pounds of clothing and shoes per person annually. Um, the additional issue with that is very few communities have textile recycling programs. Um, and in many countries, up to 85% of that clothing waste goes straight to landfill. When it's in landfill, of course, it emits methane and decomposes, as well as being an enormous waste of resources. Um, likewise, we've had issues in the past with some iconic brands being known to burn their excess stock simply to preserve the brand value. Um, so there are a lot of issues there around waste and the way we deal with clothing at the, clothing at the end of its life. Likewise, um, you may have seen or heard of the documentary Fashion's Dirty Secrets by the journalist Stacey Dooley, which got a lot of attention in the press. It looked at the pollution caused by the sector. So discharge from dyeing, finishing, manufacture, microfiber pollution, those kind of issues across the whole supply chain can be really vast and, and have some serious impacts. So there are a lot of issues I've just talked about there. Um, and I know that that can seem quite overwhelming, but I think the industry is recognizing that. And a lot of, uh, a lot of great and enthusiastic sustainability managers who I work with in the sector are really working hard to address those impacts. It feels like on all these calls, we kind of go through the cycle of scaring everybody um, and really shine a light on you know, everything that's wrong. But I also know a lot of the work that you're doing and peers are doing is kind of how do you improve on that? What are some of the solutions out there? So where do you see this going forward in terms of that shift from identifying and understanding the issue to a more sustainable model going forward? Mm. I think there's a lot of action that's going on to address many of those issues that I spoke about um, from issues that span quite a broad spectrum, like the work of the Sustainable Power Coalition with whom we work, um, which looks at address understanding and addressing sustainability impacts in the supply chain, um, to more specific um, initiatives around particular issues like climate change, the UN Fashion Industry Charter for Climate Action, for example, which has recently been established, is, is a key part of the way in which fashion can play a part in achieving net zero emissions by 2050. Um, and I guess personally, um, with an interest in resource efficiency and how we make the most of the precious resources we have, I'm a big fan of circular economy as a way to provide a really useful convening principle to help tackle some of those big problems in tandem. And that's great. And because I mean, lots of people talk about circular economy as that kind of conceptual framework, but maybe could mm -hmm. you unpack it a little bit in terms of what does that really mean around sustainable fashion and how is that translating? And again, a little bit like mm -hmm. you and I had talked about earlier, it's interesting to think of fashion as kind of an incubator for sustainability. I think it was really interesting hearing you say, you know, how clothes say a lot about our own identity and seeing mm -hmm. how that's kind of evolving and cascades into other industries. And I think that, as we were talking about earlier, that kind of cycle and the speed of fashion, being able to adopt some mm -hmm. of these things faster than others. Mm -hmm. But it'd be really interesting to understand what does circularity look like, not as a theoretical viewpoint, but really pragmatically within the industry. 
that's a really good point. And I think that you're completely correct. The, the speed of the fashion industry presents an enormous opportunity to try new things and try them quickly. And that's something that some brands and retailers and manufacturers have grasped and sort of run with that opportunity. Um, and I think that those who don't will find that they can very quickly fall behind. That's why grasping the importance of the circular economy and what it means in reality is so important. So um, looking at what circular economy means for fashion, we go through the kind of circular model starting from design. Um, design is such an important part of the way in which fashion and the clothing sector works. And there's so much scope there for designing with new sustainable materials, uh, innovative fibers, implementing circular design practices, designing for durability, those kind of things. Uh, we've done a lot of work with brands where we've looked at how creating durable classic styles in fabrics that last can give, give a product longevity, not just physically making it last longer, but also emotionally and that emotional durability when you get a garment you really love um, is what keeps your customer loyal and keeps them coming back to you. Um, as part of this, for example, looking at customer buying patterns, analyzing returns data can tell you a lot about how your garments are performing, um, what that means for customers, and then you can modify your manufacture processes accordingly to ensure that the quality is maintained, that the products are, are products that customers will want to love and keep. Um, I was just wearing today a trench coat um, from the brand Joseph that I bought about 15 years ago when I first moved to the UK. Um, I remember pressing my little nose up against the glass, looking at um, this very same coat um, in the window of their store on the King's Road, thinking as a poor young sustainability consultant, I'd never be able to afford such a beautiful coat. And I was fortunate enough to find one in a charity shop about two years later. <laughs> and I've kept it ever since. So its second life has been a very long and happy life with me. And I love it because it's a really classic style in a really good fabric that lasts and lasts. And because it has so much meaning to me, um, that makes me want to keep it forever. And I think making sure that we match the emotional and physical durability of garments is something that's really key to resolving this fast fashion crisis. And it, it's fascinating. And Susan, I'd love to dig into kind of that whole cycle and the way we think about circularity and the different stages within mm. that. But maybe before before we jump into that, you know, could you speak a little bit about the business case? I imagine for mm. brands in the industry, it's got to be challenging where, yes, you want people <laughs> to, to love your clothes for a long time, but then that also creates a challenge in terms of what's the appropriate price for a garment that's going to last mm. 15 years, um, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe could you speak a little bit about how the market is reacting to this driver? Yeah, I think that the market in the apparel space has been really receptive to a lot of elements of circular economy. Um, part of that is because of this strong relationship that consumers have with their clothes and the um, the expectations they have of brands and retailers um, 
they very, very strongly expect that brands and retailers will make sustainable choices so that the garments that they buy are going to be uh, environmentally and socially responsibly sourced. Um, and I think that's something that brands and retailers at all ends of the spectrum from luxury to premium to fast fashion really need to be be aware of and consider um, when they think about reputational risks. Um, there are there are a lot of upsides though too so um, brands and retailers can find that being disruptive with their products and services thinking about some circular economy solutions can really open up new markets for them um, there have been a lot of innovators who have jumped into the space with exciting exciting new products that uh highly sustainable um, and the brands and retailers who've responded to that by upping their game I think have got the most traction. It can make a real difference in terms of how brands and retailers can succeed when the high street, the, the, the main bulk of clothing here in the UK at least is really facing tough times, is really stretched. Um, I think that also it can help because using resources more efficiently saves money, it reduces carbon. And there is a strong argument that by building efficiency, building greater resilience, you'll manage your resources better and find that costs can certainly be stabilized and quite often come down. I think that evidencing not just that you're addressing these issues, but that you're trying to innovate can be a really important differentiator in communicating a message. And of course, there are some key elements that sit within the compliance space. So for example, um, with some of the issues that we were talking about before, Chris, around you know, social and labor standards, serious pollution incidents, to ensure business continuity in sensitive markets, especially when we're addressing issues like pollution in the supply chain, like um, labor and ethical standards, it is absolutely vital to be able to demonstrate improved governance. I think that's really key. More and more also, I see brands and retailers looking to collaborate with their supply chains to create not only more sustainable products, but also stronger networks, um, stronger supply chain relationships. And there are obviously a lot of procurement and buying benefits that come from that. Incorporating sustainability and circular economy into the way that you partner and source in the supply chain can be really valuable, I think. Fascinating. And I think one piece that just jumped out to my mind is that last piece about the supply chain, because my impression of fashion has always been this sense of really cheap, chasing the, the cheapest labor, right, mm. and seeing that move around. So this idea of, you know, greater collaboration across the supply chain is really interesting kind of aspect and speaks to where I think we're seeing other industries as well. Mm. I think that's really true. Um a lot of brands and retailers have much greater transparency of their supply chain below tier one than they did even three or four years ago. Mm. And I think that changes the game quite significantly. Um, you will have seen some of the tools and technologies out there like the Open Apparel Registry, which is kind of an open source map which is creating this database of global apparel facilities and their affiliations, where they are, what they do. Um, 
those kind of technologies provide a really high level of transparency. Um, and when you combine that with things like the consumer power behind uh, the hashtag who made my clothes campaign, I think that there are some real drivers towards addressing supply chain. Simultaneously, I think a lot of brands and retailers are looking towards things like blockchain, um, are also feeling the impending stick of regulatory compliance as extended producer responsibility becomes more of an impending reality for the clothing sector, and are thinking about how they're going to address that with their supply chain, both up and downstream. So there are many, many reasons why good supply chain relationships and closer supply chain relationships are very important. Fantastic. And maybe now thinking about kind of who's doing this well and how do you see organizations moving down that path, you know, and maybe using mm -hmm. that construct as you were talking about of those different elements of, of a life cycle or circularity mm -hmm. model. Well, I think in terms of design as the starting point, there are some really exciting brands and retailers coming forward who are looking at um, really sustainable design. So um, developing products that they have good sourcing records for, that they really understand where the products have come from. They've put a lot of thought and attention into the fibers they've chosen, the factories they've chosen to work with, and everything down to the details of their pattern cutting, looking at, for example, zero waste pattern cutting, how you lay out the patterns on the fabric so that you can minimize the amount of wastage out of every meter of fabric you're going to have. Um, some really exciting things going on in that space. Um, and also a lot of new brands that are coming forward are looking at really simple, wearable, classic styles that can be um, revived, repaired time and again to ensure they can be worn in perpetuity almost. Like the jacket. Like the jacket, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and are um, there specific organizations either you've worked with or you're aware of that are doing that particularly well? There are loads, and I think that would be one of my um, my comments or recommendations to anyone who's interested in this, who listens to this podcast. All you need to do is start to do a quick Google, and you will be amazed at how many exciting brands and retailers you can unearth who are doing this kind of thing. And I guess that's the wake-up call for maybe more established mainstream brands. It's becoming easier and easier for consumers to get directly to these new and exciting brands. Um, I think that brands like Reformation um, are doing some really exciting things. Looking to the manufacturing phase, some of the exciting things that are going on in that space are very interesting. So a project that our recently acquired Made By team did a little while back was looking at pre-consumer cutting room floor waste in a particular manufacturer and how to take those scraps and get more value out of them before they just went to waste, either by introducing better pattern cutting, so less was wasted in the first place, or by turning those leftovers into saleable products. Um, and I think there's real advantages there for all of the 
partners in that supply chain. It means that the brands and retailers really know what their money's buying um, in terms of their fabric and, and how it's being used. It means that the manufacturers can make the most of every square meter of fabric. Um, and I think that there's a lot of benefits in terms of the flow on to address other sustainability impacts. Um, the better use we make of materials, the more we reduce the carbon footprint and water footprint per garment. Yeah, no, it's fascinating to see where that's that's going as well. And then maybe moving on to say like the in-use phase and you know, once we move beyond that manufacturing piece, or are there mm. pieces within the distribution that really stand out for you? I think that in use and when clothing gets to the consumer is a really interesting space and one that many brands and retailers find challenging to address because we can engage as much as we can with the consumer, but ultimately there are many other factors that come into play as well. When it comes to consumer buying patterns, there are some fantastic nascent technologies coming through now around new business models, around leasing and hiring, around getting a better understanding of the data that sits behind what your customers are buying, what the resale price of that garment is. Um, and you can see this in the success of for example, Depop, the online platform for resale, which has had huge growth in the youth and young fashion demographic. We've done some really exciting work with organizations, helping them to understand the value and quantity of their goods that is being resold so they can maximize the business opportunity and help ensure a second life for those garments. So if you're an iconic brand, for example, and you don't have some kind of role in your garment second life, then you're really missing a trick financially. The retail value for many iconic garments can be very, very high. Uh, there's a strong financial argument for getting involved in this market. And obviously, I can't speak about any of those brands um, by name. but Yeah, but it's fascinating, too. I think that's, I mean, I have a real passion for business models and what that looks like. And it was fascinating seeing Patagonia come out, say, with the don't mm. buy this jacket campaign. And mm. to your point, really getting into that secondary market, right, with their mm. kind of online platform for used Patagonia clothing. And I think you can see this as well in brands like Nudie and Mud Jeans that are offering repair services. So you can take your jeans back and um, get them repaired when they start to wear out around the knees or whatever it might be, so that the second life, the garment keeps its first life for much, much longer. So what happens at that phase now within the fashion industry once kind of mm. we move past the secondary market? So you mean when when they can no longer be worn as a pair of trousers. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think um, the recycling space is really exciting one. And one of the big challenges is how we get those garments back from consumers. Um, in many countries, 85% of, of the clothes that we're finished with go straight to landfill where, for example, the council or local authority might not have any mechanisms to collect garments. Many brands and retailers here in the UK use take-back schemes as a key part of how they can help consumers to recycle their clothes. For example, quite a few brands and retailers um, offer uh, cash back. You bring back your clothes, um, you bring back a bag of clothes and get a £5 voucher, for example, every time you do that. And then they act as a conduit to um, pass the clothing through to 
recyclers or companies that might be able to find reuse in other countries. That's great, because I imagine a number of retailers or organizations look at take-back programs as just a cost, but really interesting mm. to think of it as a marketing engagement campaign. And I think as we see the increasing likelihood of extended producer responsibility coming into the clothing space, that's going to be something that's that's a, a real key. Um, in the UK, for example, um, the Environmental Audit Committee, the, the government, the committee of MPs that reports to government has been looking at fast fashion and they recently put forward the concept that clothing should be the next material stream to be subject to extended producer responsibility where producers have to pay towards the cost of disposal or recycling of their garments. And although the government hasn't made a direct commitment on that as yet, I think it would be fair to say there generally is an expectation that EPR on clothing is coming and coming within a reasonable um, short to medium term window. It certainly seems like it with the scale of impact that you're you're describing. Mm. So maybe last question for me, do you have any advice on specific actions that organizations either in the field or beyond should be taking as we think about the path forward here? Yeah, I think that it can seem a bit overwhelming to look at addressing so many of these things at once. And I think that taking a closer look at circular economy as a way to address many of those in tandem can be a good starting point. I think that there are some actions that brands and retailers can take to make impacts immediately. The first one, of course, as with many other things, is looking at materiality, although materiality is a funny word in the in the fashion space. It sounds like we mean material, right? But the most significant impacts that their their brand or their garments have, so that they know where to focus their the the bulk of their attention first. Um, and I think that also considering the full product life cycle during the design phase can make a huge difference. So getting designers to think about the fibers that they're sourcing, the types of garments they're creating and how long lasting they will be, how the garment will be recycled or reused, those kind of things upfront in design stage can make an enormous impact. And also when I do sustainable design workshops with designers on this, they find that it really sparks innovation. Um, having that opportunity to think about things differently can provide new and exciting ideas about how to design garments. Uh, secondly, I think that the challenges we have around climate change affect not just the garments that retailers and brands produce, but also the way they sell them. And getting the basics right in your own operations is just as relevant for a brand or retailer as for any other type of organization. So that means having a real handle on your own energy footprint, your own carbon footprint, making sure that the buildings that you are housed in, whether it's at warehousing or whether it's at store level, are green and sustainable is very, very important important and shouldn't be underestimated. Um, it can also be a good source of some savings that you can then use to have some budget to spend on doing something you wouldn't otherwise be able to do in terms of sustainability. So looking at that as a strategy, I think is really worthwhile. Um, I think also 
much of the risk and much of the potential in apparel sits in the supply chain. And so having a good handle of your supply chain, environmental and social risks and impacts is key. That goes straight to the heart of transparency. Getting a handle on your supply chain, knowing what your suppliers are doing about this can be really important and adopting new approaches like, for example, some of the tools that are out there to help you really understand your supply chain is vital. Susan, fantastic. Thank you very much for this. I think it's fascinating to kind of dig into the details within the industry. Uh, I especially really like that idea of the clothes we wear really re represent a lot of who we are. Um, and it's something I see across procurement departments in every industry is this personal mm. passion that they're bringing to those buying decisions, right? Even beyond mm. the fashion piece that really kind of clicked for me. So thank you very much for the time and insight here. Um, maybe if people like more information, uh, is there a spot you recommend they go? There is. Um, within the Anthesis website, we have a sustainable apparel uh, webpage, anthesisgroup.com backslash apparel fashion textiles sustainability. So that's uh Susan, thank you very much. Thank you everyone for listening today. As always, we'd love your feedback and thoughts. Kind of what's your experience within the industry, um, your personal experiences or professional experiences within that. Um, Susan can be reached directly uh, for more information at Susan.harris at anthesisgroup.com. That's H-A-R-R-I-S at Anthesis Group. And I'm always available at Chris.Peterson at Anthesis Group. So thanks again, Susan. Really appreciate the insights. Thanks, hearing where the industry is going. And thanks again to everybody for listening.